0: Because I live, you shall live also. And I'd encourage you to memorize that. Because I live, you shall live also. Amen. Turn uh, to 1 Peter 3 this morning with me as we continue learning from this master Christian called Peter. Master Apostle called Peter. We're in chapter three, uh, verses thirteen through through seventeen, and and in these verses, Peter emphasizes his emphasis is on how we should interact with unbelievers, uh, especially those who are hostile toward us because we are Christians. That's his emphasis in this uh, this section of the chapter, and we're called to behave in the most extraordinary of ways. I mean, we're to receive cursing and bless instead. We are to be the subjects of unjust evil upon us, and we are to return good instead. In short, we are to be like Jesus. That says it all. And he's given us instruction here on how to do that. And it's extremely practical for us and helpful And um, there in verse 13 we read, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So in verse 13 there, you know, we've been challenged with that question. And who is he who will harm you? if you become followers of what is good? Of course, the expected answer is, you know, no one. No one can harm us. The safest course is always to pursue that which is good, as defined by God. That's the safest course. To always pursue what is good, as defined by God. From verse 14, we learn, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. So we know Peter's question does not mean we will be free from all suffering. No, we will be freed from all harm. Those are two different things. We're going to suffer, but we're not going to be harmed. Now, you've got to wrap your mind around that. That is completely true. In the truest sense, we will not be harmed, even though we will suffer, if we're suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, that's something to really think through. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, Peter goes on and says what? You are blessed. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. You are not harmed. Not ultimately. No. And of course, Peter is echoing Jesus' teaching, isn't he? Sounded like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See that? Who are the blessed ones? Who are the blessed ones? That's what the Beatitudes are all about, isn't it? Who is the blessed person? Read those Beatitudes. It's completely countercultural as to who the blessed ones are. And it climaxes with verse 10, the one I'm reading to you right now. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a great blessing. They possess the kingdom. Great assurance. To suffer for righteousness sake. Is great assurance. For theirs is. You are the possessor. Of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When they revile you. And persecute you. And say all kinds of evil against you. Falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So you're blessed with a great, great reward. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and you're part of a great company. (laughs) You're part of a great company. So there you go. Three great assurance, great reward, great company. All right there. Well, when suffering for righteousness' sake, what are we to do? Peter tells us there in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, here's what we are to do. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God or the Lord Christ in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Wow. Uh, we we will spend. Uh, uh, this is a joke. Nathaniel and I joke back and forth. I will over exegete this verse. Okay. Uh, actually, I won't actually over exegete it. It's just every phrase and thought is very significant. Okay. So. Every phrase and thought here is how how do we do this? How do we suffer for righteousness' sake? How do we live in a culture that that 's going to and is rejecting us and is making fun of us and is despising us and and even causing us to lose our jobs in some cases you know how how do we do this? How do we do it well peter's going to help us and um, there's four very significant instructions here given to us as believers. First, we are not to be afraid or troubled when the hostilities and threats come our way. That's number one. Number two, we are to sanctify. That means to set apart, we are to set apart the Lord Jesus in our hearts. That's number two. Number three, we are always to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us for a reason of the hope that we display. Now, this third exhortation is large and can be broken down a bit. Always be ready. Okay, this is 3A, all right? 3A, always be ready. 3B, to give a defense 3C, to everyone who asks you, 3D, for the reason we are to give a defense. We are to give a reasoned defense. And 3D, I think, is for the hope that is in you. So number three is big, okay? Number four, the fourth exhortation, we are to give this defense with gentleness and fear. Now, I can't leave any of those out as to how we are to get through this as Christians who suffer for righteousness. It's just wonderful. So this morning, we will be here three hours. No. (laughs) No, no. This morning, we will do the first two of those four, and we'll dip into the third one, okay? So do not be afraid or troubled. Jesus was troubled when facing his crucifixion under God's judgment. Jesus even said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour, John 12. We will never face anything even remotely to the degree of which Jesus faced. Never, 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 even remotely to what he is facing. He was not sinning by being troubled. And I don't think the term fear is ever used in Scripture to describe Jesus. I'm not certain on that. Maybe in Psalm 22, prophetically, I'm not certain. I didn't have time to research that. Maybe one of you would take that project on and let me know what you find. If the term fear was ever, ever in Scripture attributed to Jesus experiencing that. He was troubled, but he was not sinful. Of course, he feared God, and you'll find that, that attributed to him, fearing God. So being troubled or fearful in themselves is not sinful if we stay the course of obeying God in spite of our fear. Okay? So the Lord's not going to condemn or chastise you if you're fearful. He might say, why are you fearful? (laughs) Okay, we know He's done that. When they were about ready to drown in the sea, you know, why would you be fearful? You know, you're going to die anyways, right? We're all going to die. We're all going to pass. We should really think about that. Anyways, what am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say here is what's significant is in spite of our fears, we continue to obey. That's the significant thing to hang on to. But it is possible to not be fearful. And we will see some examples of this here later this morning. So, let's follow Peter's reasoning in, in verse 14b there. In order to follow that, we must read 14 and 15 together without a pause in the thought. Now, listen to this. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But, you see, there's something you need to do instead of being fearful. Okay? It isn't just, don't be fearful, don't be fearful, don't be fearful. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to be fearful. <laughs> You need to replace the fear with something else. And that's the only way to get over it. The only way to get over the fear is to replace it with something else. And that's the first piece of advice here, you see. Do not be fearful of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts. You have to move on to that second part of the exhortation if you're going to deal with fear. The fear of man is to be overcome by sanctifying the Lord Christ in our hearts. Now what does that mean? Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 8 verses 11 through 13 and we should turn there. Turn in your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah chapter 8 verses 13, uh, 11 through 13. And this is what he is quoting from. And we've got to work through this just for just for a few minutes. Starting with verses 11 and 12. 8 11, For the Lord spoke thus to me, to Isaiah, with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. This people here are the people of Judah. This is spoken to Isaiah, spoken about the southern kingdom, about the Judeans. And they're not walking by faith. (laughs) That's their problem. They're not trusting God. And the Lord is instructing Isaiah that he should not follow the path of the faith Fearful Judeans. And what are they doing? They're saying a conspiracy, a conspiracy. What, what they're afraid of is, is the northern kingdom Israel has joined in a political alliance with Syria. And that's what they mean by conspiracy here. It means an alliance. The northern kingdom is forming an alliance with pagan Syria to go against Judah, to actually go against Judah. Okay, and the Judeans are full of fear because of this political alliance that has been formed. Okay, so, okay, conspiracy theorists, don't okay this, 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 don't, okay, this doesn't have to do with that, all right? That's what's going on. There's this alliance between these other nations formed against Judah. And uh, the prophet is being told, don't. Worry about that. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. Now, here's where Peter picks up. Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Okay? That's where Peter picks up. Now, their threats there, it's, it's difficult to determine who the there is. Is it the Judeans, the unbelieving Judeans themselves that are threatening Isaiah? Or is their threats the threats of the alliance between the two nations? It could be both, I'm not sure. But Isaiah is told not to be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Probably the alliance, but the other unbelieving Judeans are really afraid. Do not be afraid of their threats. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. That's our sanctify in Peter. That is what? Him you shall set apart. The problem with these fearful Judeans is they're not hallowing Yahweh. And their fear is the evidence of that. And look what it says. And how do you hallow Him? The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. They are fearing and dreading the Syrians and the northern kingdom instead of fearing Yahweh. That's their problem. And... The prophet is being told by God, don't do that. The Lord of hosts, him you shall sanctify, hallow, set apart. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Verse 14, he will be as a sanctuary. There's a great promise there. The verse division is unfortunate there in Isaiah 8. You see, there's a great promise. Those who let Yahweh be your fear and let Yahweh be your dread, to them what? He will be a sanctuary. That is, a safe place. He will be a safe place. Who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? He will be a sanctuary to those who who fear Him and exalt Him in their hearts above every other fear and threat. That's what needs to be done. Isaiah is to hallow the Lord of hosts and that is to be done by letting Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. And He will be a sanctuary, a safe place. Who is He that can harm you when you're in that sanctuary? Okay? That's right. Who can harm you when you're in that sanctuary? And you know what that sanctuary is? Christ! We are in Him! Therefore, I cannot die! (laughs) The ultimate safe place The ultimate sanctuary is this wonderful doctrine of in Christ, union with Christ, died with Christ, risen with Christ, seated at the right hand of God with Christ. We are in Him. Get it? He's the ultimate sanctuary. That's right. He will be as a sanctuary. He's a safe dwelling place, for those who fear him more than they fear anything else. Peter applies Isaiah eight thirteen through fourteen to the believers in Asia Minor, who are facing hostilities. Do not fear their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify, set apart the Lord Jesus in your heart. So overcome. Fearing, we overcome fearing our enemies' threats when we sanctify the Lord Christ in our hearts as our greatest fear, our greatest respect, our greatest trust. Now, we must live the but. Then we will be able to not be afraid nor be troubled when the hostilities come. What do I mean? But we must live the but. Following Peter's command is not only at the moment we are faced with a hostility. Sanctifying the Lord Christ in our hearts must be as a way of life is a significant part of what? Always being ready to give a defense. How can you always be ready By sanctifying the Lord Jesus in your hearts. I mean, now that just makes sense. Isn't it great just to follow the thought? We must always be ready. Don't fear, but sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts. When? You know, when the crisis comes up? (laughs) No, as a way of life. Don't fear their threats. But sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts, always being ready. You set Christ as your Lord, exalted in your heart all the time. Every day, every week, every month. You live that way. He is exalted, set apart in your heart. And it's Him you are following. It's Him you are following. You're not just obeying the right rules. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never suffer for righteousness' sake if all you're doing is obeying the right rules. No, you're following the Savior who loves you. You're following the Savior who redeemed you. And you've set them apart in your hearts. There's no one higher. There's no one greater. There's no one more fearful. There's no one more awesome. And you're setting them apart in your hearts. And you're you're learning to live that way. Now you're becoming ready. Now you're becoming ready. When the hostilities come. Okay? That's, That's what Peter is saying. The but is to be lived. That's a present, ongoing verb, okay? But sanctify. That's present, ongoing action. Got it? You live that way. We're called to live that way, and that prepares and enables us to go through persecution and suffering or so forth. And, yes when the potentially fearful moment comes, at that moment especially, don't freeze, proceed immediately to, but sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts. At that moment, something we've already been doing as a way of life, we do it at that moment. His Lordship has not changed. His governance over the nation has not suddenly changed. You're the Lord of every man. We just sang it, right? You're the Lord of every man, even my enemies. Got it? You're the Lord of every man. We've been singing that. So, now there are numerous biblical examples and extra-biblical examples of believers who, of believers who have faced great hostilities without fear. The Hebrew midwives feared God more than Pharaoh, didn't they? They did. The text says that. It says they feared God. And that's why they did what they did. And the implication, of course, is they feared God more than Pharaoh, didn't they? And what did they do? They set Yahweh, their God, apart in their hearts. And they feared God more than Pharaoh. Moses the text tells us, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. They like that. Not fearing the wrath of the king. Peter and John did not fear in the face of the multitude of threats from the Sanhedrin, even, to, even a plot to kill him, kill them. They said, you know, he be the judge whether we ought to obey, obey God or man. How can they say that? They have the Lord set apart in their hearts, right? You be the judge whether we ought to obey God or man. There's a heart that Christ as Lord has been sanctified, set apart in, isn't it? We're going to obey God. And you know what that means? That means to obey the Lord Jesus. Now, we've got to learn later. We've got to do that respectfully. We've even got to do that gentle. With gentleness, oh boy, we're not there yet. Okay. These are all great examples of overcoming fear. When you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Peter practiced what he's teaching. We won't go through all the examples. Stephen. Stephen was indeed fearless, giving his defense before the Sanhedrin, wasn't he? Absolutely. He defends Jesus Christ before the Sanhedrin. He defends Jesus as the Christ before the Sanhedrin. And in his case, they did stone him to death while he prayed for their forgiveness. Wow. He didn't fear them. He proclaimed that, yeah, this crucified man, Jesus, is the Messiah. And he even prayed for them as they stoned him to death. Okay? Wow. He was fearless, wasn't he? Absolutely. And all those things, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, great will be your reward in heaven. He, he received an immediate reward, didn't he? He didn't have to trudge through the rest of this earthly life. Man, the Lord just vaulted him out of there in glory. Was Stephen harmed? No. Did Stephen receive any harm? No. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Okay? Actually, I don't... He didn't suffer very long, did he? He didn't suffer even for a day. (laughs) I mean, that's not that bad of a way to go, is it? (laughs) I mean, even that. We need to think about the things that are unseen. And we need to have the Word of God transform our minds. And that's all I'm trying to do with us is to think about what's being said in these wonderful words of the Apostle. So, wait a minute. Okay, those those are brief examples. Actually, I wanted to go through one example. Uh, Perhaps the most famous of all examples is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of not fearing, who were slaves in the Babylonian captivity. They refused to worship an image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Turn to Daniel. Turn in your Old Testament to Daniel, to, to Daniel chapter three. <clears throat> they refused to worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They had high pos- they were slaves, but they had high positions of authority in Babylon. They were in positions of government and power, actually, as Jewish men. Man, they must have had interesting things to navigate through, didn't they? You know, Nathaniel did a wonderful series on living in Babylon. And that's these three men. And uh, uh, they refused to worship that image. And these men are a striking example of not being afraid of their threats, but sanctifying the Lord in one's heart. We know from the context that the Lord was sanctified in their hearts as a way of life before the crisis situation occurred. Okay, if you read it, you know that. The Lord was already set apart in their hearts before the crisis situation arrived by, by how they would not defile themselves uh, with the food that they ate and all these other things. They were living the butt. Okay, and then the crisis came. Daniel chapter 3 verses 4 through 7, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, With all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, with all kinds of music all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Not quite all. (laughs) Not quite all. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O oh King, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain king, there are certain Jews whom you have set over affairs in the province of Babylon. O king, these are guys that are working for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due respect to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Okay. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Now here's the crisis moment. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the sound, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image I have made, good. But, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands. Now, I'm using a little bit of humor here, but if the Lord had planned to let them be martyred, after that statement, he changed his mind. (laughs) Get it? And who is the God who is able to deliver you? All right. So if the Lord had planned to let them be martyred, I'm sure he changed his mind. When Nebuchadnezzar made that statement, okay, that there's no God that could do this. Well, I mean, that's a challenge, isn't it? Anyways, that thought just came to me. I hope it was a good thought. And he says, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now, the thing is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have already enthroned that God, That Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know, that God that he doesn't know has been what? Sanctified in their hearts. Okay, he has been. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to him, This is the fearlessness to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now that's respectful. But in this matter, as to who the real God is, we Jews are right. (laughs) We have no need to answer you in this matter. If it is the case, if it is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He is able, if it is the case. And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not... Okay, if he chooses not to deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So then Nebuchadnezzar was what? Full of fury and rage and the expression on his face changed (laughs) toward them. And, of course, in this case, God did deliver them. Yeah. There, there's a fearlessness, and it's because the Lord. And in the Isaiah passage, by the way, the Lord of hosts, Peter converts that to the Lord Christ. If that's the correct text, which I believe it is. Okay, there's a textual variant. there. It's either Lord God or Lord Christ. But I think it is Lord Christ, and I'm not going to explain why I think that's the the best text. And what Peter does is he takes that Isaiah 8. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. That's converted into the Lord Christ set aside in your hearts. Okay? I, I probably didn't say that. I should have said that earlier. That's what Peter is doing with Isaiah 8. And here we just see an example of yeah, uh, they're fearless, fearless in the face of that. The fear of God in your heart, the fear of the Lord Jesus Christ, will subdue and even annihilate the fear of man. Okay, it it does. We see it. Okay, <clears throat> Peter. Uh, Peter continues. To exhort, we've done one and two out of the four, and we're gonna dip into we're gonna dip into number three a little bit. Peter continues to exhort us on how to deal with hostilities, but sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is within you. See, Peter's goal here is not simply that we are fearless, it's that we positively defend and proclaim the gospel and the hope. So, Peter is concerned that believers be able to defend their hope in Christ humbly and respectfully to anyone who might ask in hostile and non-hostile situations. Okay, that's his concern for us that we that we are able to defend our hope in Christ humbly and respectfully and with reason to anyone who might ask, whether that's in a hostile situation or whether that's in a non hostile situation. K. Jobes writes this great quote, quote Peter's vision for how the Christian is to relate to even a hostile social situation is thought-provoking. He does not advocate a withdrawal from society for safety's sake or a hostile counterattack on society. The Christian community may be a colony in a strange land, but as Ackmeyer observes, quote, Cultural isolation is not to be the route taken by the Christian community. It is to live its life openly in the midst of the unbelieving world and just as openly to be prepared to explain the reasons for it. That's good. Okay, That's a high calling, but that's what we're called to do. Okay? That's got it right. The question arises because... The question arises... This is... I'm done quoting. The question arises because of Peter's use of the term defense. If he is primarily has in mind formal trials before authorities, which became a fairly common thing in the second century... Now, Jesus surely predicted this, that you will be brought before the authorities and the courts. See, there's a question when he says, always be ready to make a defense. Is Peter primarily viewing that second century situation? You're in the courtroom. Or is he viewing, does he mean that much more broadly? Well, likely at the time of this that narrower focus is not present. It's more like J. Michaels describes, quote, Peter sees his readers as being on trial every day as they live for Christ in a pagan society. And and I think that's the case at the time that Peter is writing this. we're, We're a year or two away from Nero, okay, when this is being written. And so I think Michael's has got it right. Uh, Peter sees his readers as being on trial every day as they live for Christ in a pagan society. Now, it's, it's important that we do not lose sight of the real situation in verses 15 and 16. Or we could end up thinking that these verses apply to a specialty discipline within the church. That is, being an apologist in the professional sense. Of course, some men are called and gifted to do such work, and we are, we are the benefactors, and we benefit greatly from such men that are called to do that work and we benefit from their labors. Actually, they help us. Okay? But Peter has no such special office or calling in mind when he writes 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. His exhortations here apply to every Christian, male or female, young or old. It applies to all of us. Okay. And so, so that's the situation. It applies to all of us. The hostilities will come to all of us. The need not to fear these threats applies to all of us. Overcoming this fear by sanctifying the Lord Christ in our hearts applies to all of us. And being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in us uh, applies to all of us, okay? So, I just wanted to make sure we're clear on that. The exhortation to each of us is, it begins with, always be ready. Always be ready. You see, we don't know when someone will make a comment to us or make a comment about us, good or bad, or question our behavior. We don't know when that's going to happen, you see. We are exhorted to always be ready for these open doors. Always be ready, because those things are going to happen. We don't know when they will happen. But we are to be ready. It's every Christian's calling to get ready and be ready. Peter points us in some directions that will help us get ready. And we'll consider those in the weeks ahead. Right now, just ask the Lord to help you set apart the Lord Christ high and lifted up in your heart. That will help you move from fear to confessing your faith. Even in the face of hostilities. We're called to always be ready. How can we always be ready? A key component is setting Christ apart as Lord in your heart if you cultivate that way of living, you're halfway there for always being ready. (laughs) Okay? Remember, and I said it earlier, you are following Him, your Savior, who loves you. Got it? You're following the One who loves you so much that He shed His blood to make you His bride. Think of it that way. or His bride, were following Him who loved us, gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good works. (laughs) Okay. That's what you're following him. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts, and always be ready. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing, honorable calling. Lord, that you, majestic, awesome as you are, that you have chosen us to be your representatives, to Convey to the world your name and awesomeness. Lord Jesus, that you have called and chosen us. Lord, help us think right. This is an honor. Thank you for honoring us in this way. And help us walk worthy of you and the good news about you that we have been called to by you. Oh, Lord, help us. And Lord, forgive us when we haven't been ready or willing. Forgive us, Lord, and help us never be ashamed of you. Yes, Lord, that's our prayer. Help us not only never be ashamed of you, but help us glory in you. And may our hope look very different from those who are lost around us. Thank you for the hope that extends through the grave and out into eternity. Thank you. We pray in your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen.